But now we don't have any value. Hey, it's your death sentence for this week. Um, so, we've got someone on here today with me, and it's just me. Uh, Landon and Eden are, are absent for this one because it's, it's very British-centric. Um, we've got someone on here who I've been wanting to have on for years and years, like ever since I read Boy Parts back in 2020. Maybe I, I think maybe I got to it in 2021. Um, so Eliza Clark is one of the best young British novelists, according to Granter and to me, and to pretty much anyone who knows about young British novelists. Uh, she's written two books right now. Uh, Penance is what we're going to be talking about mostly today, and Boy Parts. Um, I, I say I, I read Boy Parts. I didn't actually read it. I listened to the audiobook. Um, and you are so fucking good at reading. My oh, God. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're like a voice actress or something. You, like, if it... If this writing thing doesn't work out, then yeah, do uh, voiceovers. Thank you. I do. I do think I, I've you, benefited the... a lot from being so familiar with the the material. Um... <laughs> no, it, it, it's brilliant. It, it, it kind of added an extra dimension to to the read to it. I, like I listen to audiobooks like probably more than I should because mm. the voice actors are, tend to be terrible. <laughs> Like there, there are some audiobooks that are just like a hate crime. Yes. Um, for the amount of people, yeah, really lucky you didn't have to do any foreign accents in in boy parts. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, some of them are dreadful but, for that. <laughs> oh yeah, um, there was this one. Um, what was it called? Seven Eves, like crappy sci-fi book that's like a billion pages long, but um, there was a very international cast and uh, the. The Chinese voices were, yeah, should have gone mm. to prison for that one. <laughs> um, but so, you kind of, um, boy parts was, I think we can say one of those like instant successes came out of nowhere and just blew up. Mm. Um, so, I kind of want to. I don't do a lot of like, oh, where did you come from? How did you get published? Talk with with people on the show because um a lot of the answers are i did an ma and i was friends with a, someone who turned out to be a literary agent and they made me a writer um but i kind of get the feeling that you're coming a bit out of left field for writing nowadays so, yeah i, yeah, I where suppose did, where so. did you come where did you come from <laughs> um well, I, I but but I went to I went to art school. I was kind of I was kind of always wrote as like a hobby. So I used to write a lot of fan fiction when I was a teenager, and that was like my Ooh, like what kind? Like, oh, just a, a lot of bad bad <laughs> bad. I think is the is the subtype that it is. But I used to bounce around a lot because I think I was more interested in the actual in in writing and having people read my writing than I was particularly in the stuff that mm-hmm. I was like into. Um, but I, I wrote for like a bunch of different fandoms, a lot under like all different names, and it would be very hard to find. So I wouldn't recommend anybody attempt to do I'm, so. I'm going to find it. <laughs> I'm going I'm to track it down. It's going to be my mission now. Seriously, what, which fandoms? Uh, don't, don't be shy. I've, I'm a member of many really stupid fandoms. Um, which uh, particular ones did you did you write about? 
when I started, I used to, I, I basically started in Harry Potter and then I, I really did. I really mm-hmm. probably would struggle to like think of the stuff. Yes, I know it's problematic in the middle. It, it sorry, it's problematic <laughs> now, <laughs> but it was fine in, it was fine 15 oh, yeah. years ago. <laughs> um, uh, okay, and, you're off the hook for now, provisionally. Yes, I know. Um, but yes, no, it's it's very very humiliating uh, now. But um, and then yeah, I would probably struggle to kind of name all of the stuff that I was sort of working in for like the middle of of sort of my my late teens. Uh, and then I got really into Bioware games. So I used to write a lot of Dragon Age fan fiction. Um, nice which which was sort of but and then and then I kind of fell out of of it a bit and I started was was working was concentrating more on my own like original fiction by the time I'd like finished university uh where I did I did an art degree uh and I was kind of like I don't know it was I started doing quite badly in English during my A levels and I I'd always like planned to do an English degree to do something with writing and then it just sort of went wrong and I was like doing quite well with art so I ended up doing that and then I got to art school and wasn't very good at it (laughs) I suppose I wasn't I wasn't good at art school um and I think I was I was like more interested in like theory and essay writing there and all of Mm -hmm. my my work was just getting like increasingly narrative um and and yeah it was I moved back up to Newcastle I was doing kind of like after I finished I was doing kind of like sort of standard like retail and bar work and jobs and I was like a plot I was I was still writing I think I had like my first like short story published which was published on like a horror podcast um which is called Tales to Terrify so if you can dig through the massive Tales to Terrify archive it's still probably in there somewhere um it's not very good (laughs) um and yeah, I was just sort of working on writing more. And then I started applying for jobs, arts jobs in, in Newcastle. Uh, and there are only like, there are basically like seven arts organizations in Newcastle. <laughs> um, and staff just kind of mm. tend to bounce yeah, between them. Manchester. Yeah. So it's a lot of like, you work at the Tyneside Cinema and then maybe you go and work at six seven stories and then maybe you go and work at like and and you could just it's just a lot of people bouncing between the same organizations so I, I applied for a job at new writing north which i then did not get uh but i was i was very underqualified for it um and i was really surprised that they interviewed me but uh they they were kind enough to get in contact with me afterwards and ask if i wanted to sort of take get, kind of effectively like be on their young writers talent fund program so it was basically they had like some a pot of funding that you'd be allocated um either to like i i was trained to do like writing facilitation work so i i worked for their like cuckoo young writers um program for a few months and then i had one-to-one mentorship which which ended up being really really good it was with um a writer called matt wazlowski who wrote uh the six story series which i would very much recommend if you particularly if you like penance it was quite a big influence on penance yeah um okay we'll check it out in that case then yeah yeah i would would definitely recommend it it's like they're, they're like crime books that are all in the form of like of like podcast transcripts so it's like it's like basically a 
nice a guy who is hosting a podcast and investigating one particular crime and it's like each sort of chunk of the book is like an episode of the podcast it's, it's really interesting um and very kind of like good first person oh, cool. monologue stuff it's really interesting um if you like that kind of like fake non-fiction stuff and fake true crime i think matt was like a real pioneer in okay. that genre okay. um yeah uh and then yeah so it was just kind of from there and then i got a job at the creative writing magazine Mislexia as well a few sort of a couple of months after i started doing the new writing north stuff um and i think the the one-to-one mentorship and working for a creative writing magazine effectively like replaced a creative writing masters for me um so from like working at Mislexia, I got to learn a lot more about the sort of career and kind of like sort of hustling side of writing and and how you actually kind of like that you need to get a literary agent and how you get a literary agent and uh, how to write a cover letter and what an independent press was. And this, this was basically how I kind of came into contact with Influx Press, who are an indie publisher who I, I believe they're sort of half shuttered now. I think that they're, they're still doing reissues, but I don't think they're doing anything new. Uh, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong there, but um, yeah. So I I used to. <laughs> so my job at Mislexio is I used to run the subscribers only forum. And I would organize events for the subscribers only forum. Um, and we'd done a pitching event with literary agents uh, in the summer. And this was like, or like the previous summer. And then this was the next summer. And I was doing another pitching event, uh, this time with indie presses and uh, Influx Press. And for, I think it was 404 Inc. had been invited. And I decided I was going to be very mature and not pitch my own novel which I had been writing with the new writing north um stuff and I ended up pitching my own novel with a sock puppet account <laughs> which was which was boy parts and then influx <laughs> asked, it was it was like the only book that influx asked for and I had to send them an email like it was me <laughs> um, uh, yeah and then they and then yeah, they awesome. they took it um so and then, and then it's just kind of been from there uh, pretty much <laughs> That, that's awesome. I, you said that like the that replaced the writing M- MA for you. I'm I'm one of the poor fools who did a writing MA, <laughs> and like the the stuff I learned wasn't the the things you learned. It was it was total opposite, um, unfortunately. And mm. I, I really wish I had done more of the how to write a cover letter, how to how to get how to go to an independent press as opposed to through a literary agent and so on. Mm. like it, it was very like it was very like your craft you know become a better prose writer mm. this is uea obviously um she's gone right down downhill in the years since i left mm. but um yeah they're like like i think you got you got the good deal like everyone else who paid tons of money to go on a prestigious writing degree kind of got kind of fucked out of a lot of money Yes, <laughs> uh, I, I I I couldn't possibly comment because I've never done an MA. I was I was definitely thinking about doing it. I think if I if I hadn't gotten if I hadn't sort of tripped into the publishing deal so early, I probably would have gone on a creative writing MA eventually. Um, but yeah, I think the the sort of having the one to one mentorship with Matt 
and also having the the sort of the the career side of it with mislexia was so so useful it's sort of but it does mean that my kind of journey of publishing is very hard to replicate because i can't it's it's difficult to recommend mm, that you get yeah. a job at a literary magazine by sort of i did i did deliberately get that but i think because the the mentoring i got at new writing north was so by mistake um like i i didn't really apply for it. i guess it's just knowing to look for that kind of thing um and yeah i mean half the people i talk to about this stuff they they say the same thing it's like i i can't tell you how to get your book published because the way i published my book was i met someone backstage at a concert or i happened to drop my manuscript in someone's lap one day and they turned out to be a literary agent Mm. it's yeah which which kind of sucks for emerging writers you can't just tell them okay here's the steps you take and then you'll be a then you'll be next Stephen king but yeah um, it does i would i would definitely recommend going down the like one-to-one mentorship route which is which can be easier to access than than you might think if you know how to fill out an arts council application um because you can you can basically if you speak speak to just just i would i would recommend like if there's a writer that you like who's sort of accessible to to speak to ask them if they would be interested in mentoring you and then apply for arts council funding because they will fund like one-to-one mentorship um for you to like pay your mentor and then um but i i know a few people who do that and i think that's a you know if that's if that's something that would be interesting because i would i would really recommend one-to-one mentoring um as like a really really good way to improve your writing like quite Mm. quickly as well i think yeah it 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 goes a lot quicker than kind of workshop route where you Mm. you show like a like a little snippet and then you'll talk about it and then six weeks later you maybe show another little snippet yes that can be um that can be good for getting developing as a prose writer like developing mm. line by line and things like that but it's it's not great for writing big complex novels like penance or writing very plot the kind of <laughs> character focused stuff like boys boy parts mm. um so boy parts like i like i mentioned at the top kind of blew up I mean, it's, it got big, real big, really fast. Everyone's talking about it in 2020. Why do you think that is? I know that's impossible to answer, but do you have any sense of why people responded to it in the way they did? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure, to be honest. The, the sort of success of it is kind of a mystery to me as much as I was like, as much as I kind of like when I was writing it, I kind of knew that I had something with it, but. Uh, oh, you definitely had something. <laughs> it's brilliant. The, yeah, I think. Thank you. I I think I would probably struggle to kind of pin it down. I don't know. It's. I think the humor helps. I think the the setting helps. I feel like there is kind mm. of just like a bit of a dearth of like contemporary fiction that's set like not in a big major city. Um. And I think particularly in British fiction, it does feel like everything is a little bit London or bust. Um. Uh, and Ooh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I I guess that it. I think it also like I feel like stuff that does have this kind of like not not like quite this like oh, well yeah I guess this kind of like horror edge to it where there is kind of like you can talk about how you read this sort of like 
and and granted I don't think boy parts is actually that transgressive I think it's a bit I've described it as like baby's first transgressive novel before but I think there is this Mm. sort of element of people quite like saying that they've read stuff like that and then like exaggerating it online I think it can be quite a like like how there are a lot of there are a lot of like YouTube videos about like extreme cinema and disturbing movies that a lot of people enjoy engaging with and not actually like watching any of those films and I don't know maybe it's just a little bit easier to kind of transfer that morbid curiosity over to a book where you know that you're not going to like see anything horrible and you've got a lot more control over how you can like how you can consume it like because you can you can stop reading a book mid-sentence you can't like unsee something once you've seen it um and I I wonder if that's maybe something to do with it it also just blew up on TikTok and I like don't I'm very sort of um not sure about the uh, the mechanics of TikTok but I wonder if that like I said that kind of like morbid curiosity thing sort of fed the algorithm a lot over there um but yeah there was this point where it was like it felt like it did well for what it was in 2020 and that it was like a debut novel with with an independent press and 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 during a pandemic I think it did it did really really well and then there was this point in like mid 2021 where it seemed to like the the TikTok girlies got hold of it and it just seemed to blow up in into like a like basically on a kind of like a Mm. new level um and and yeah, I don't know. It's it's sort of a little bit of a mystery to me. Um, but it's it, it's been. I mean, I, I've I've got no complaints about it blowing up on TikTok. It ended up being a very <laughs> beneficial thing for my um, for my uh, uh, I guess for my general lifestyle. I am like working. I'm writing full time now as well. Um, which has mostly been because I I do a fair bit of like TV and screen stuff as well now. Um. But yeah, no, it's been it's been really strange the whole experience of it, particularly because it came out during the pandemic. So it felt like that first sort of year and a half of it really did just feel like I don't know this like this like coma fantasy I was having, where I would just like pick up my phone and people would be reading this book that I'd like allegedly written. <laughs> um, yeah, been been a very different experience <laughs> this time around. No, it was. Um... Yeah, I, I think that's that sense that it's it's transgressive, but it's not like um, you know some like transgressive fiction you find on like a apocalypse party or Samuel Delaney's uh, stuff like Hog, which is you know, yeah, but virtually unreadable <laughs> because of how horrible <laughs> it is sometimes. But um, and and um, yeah, it, it's just transgressive, and that kind of like um. Fifty Shades of Grey, which obviously that is where the comparison ends. <laughs> but you know, it was it was an erotic story that people could say like, "Oh, I'm, I'm reading the sexy book." Yeah. In, with boy parts, it's sexy book that has murders. Yeah, it's just kind of and, it's just yeah, sort it, of on that like side of it's it's accessibly uh, accessibly transgressive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the book it gets compared to the most, American Psycho. Mm. I mean, people dismiss it as like, oh, it's American Psycho for girls, um, just because there's a murder who, murderer who might not be a murderer in it. That's where, it, again, where the comparison ends. Like, American Psycho is leaps and bounds in terms of content away from boy parts. And mm. I, and that's a massive um, you know, book and film and kind of cultural touchstone. 
Mm. And speaking of film, and because you brought it up, and because I saw you um, speak at uh, in Manchester last right. a few weeks back, and you brought this up as well. Um, you're you're adapting boy parts for TV, right? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, um, yeah. So that it hasn't been like um, greenlit or anything yet, so it's still very much probably won't happen. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I've done. I've written like the I first. Think I, I would put my money on it happening. But... Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, the first. I've I've done the first two oh, I mean, episodes it, it, for it, um, which has been an interesting process. Is it going to be much like, different from the book, or? Um, I think like the the first episode has been kind of like there's stuff that's been kind of condensed and moved around I think basically television pilots kind of have to be like all things to all people um so there is like a bit of that element I think where it's like there's a lot of stuff that doesn't happen in the first sort of I don't know the first kind of like immediate bit of the book that then happens in the first episode but like not in like a way that I would say is like particularly out of step with the book um and then by the time we get to the second episode it's a lot more kind of settled and kind of chronological with the book um which i think is kind of what you would expect more or less um but yeah so hopefully that will get commissioned (laughs) if it doesn't uh everybody can just imagine it I, I mean, I, I I felt like I, I experienced half of it already just listening to the audiobooks. You did all the voices. <laughs> um, and if if you need uh, someone to play Eddie from Tesco, I'm a I'm a just a pale beta male. I could probably <laughs> nail that part. Uh, just you know, hit, hit me up. You got me email. <laughs> but, um, so I think we should move into Penance now because mm-hmm. Penance has just come out a few weeks back. It's absolute banger um yeah it's it's brilliant what can i say thank you um so i i know elevator pitches are really hard and no one likes doing them and we can just go on amazon look up the the description of the book if you want but can we just do an elevator pitch just to get out of the way just for people who maybe haven't heard about this book just yet Uh, i'm sorry Yes. Let's just, let's just do yeah, 30, 30 second elevator pitch to, just to have it done. <laughs> uh, Penance is a fake true crime novel. So it is a fictional novel presented in the manner of a non fiction true crime book. And it is about three teenage girls in a seaside town on the evening of Brexit who kidnap and set on fire another girl that goes to the same school as they do and the novel is basically it's like kind of like a bit of a why done it sort of unpacks all of the stuff Mm. but also with the proviso at the beginning that this book was like previously pulled from shelves for having like a bunch of dodgy material in it um that may or may not have been made up or illegally acquired Okay, now that we've got the elevator pitch down the way, this is the meat of the book, which is, I feel like I'm, I want to be a dolly, but I'm more of a violet. Uh, <laughs> how do you uh, feel about uh, which one of the three girls are you? What, Obviously, you're not going to be uh, Angelica because no one likes Angelica. No, I think, I think I'm probably, yeah, I think, which, I think which one Vi- are you the most I think, like? I think Violet is probably the one that is like the most like me. Um, and I think I'm 
probably like a little bit like a like a violet with like a Joni rising. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can, I can, I yeah, I saw it's a bit, bit of myself and Joni, and I think, yeah, I think I'm mostly a violet. I'm a shrinking violet. Um, <laughs> so, but so it sets like it's set in about 26. Well, it's not set in 2016. It's about events happening in 2016. It's set a little later, mm. but. Um, and I mean the the big thing looming over this more more than Brexit, more than the shittiness of seaside towns is the internet mm. and Tumblr fandoms, um, thing, things of that nature. And I mean, one, it's a really well observed story about what the internet was like in twenty sixteen and what's like nowadays. Mm. But. Um, what, I mean, why, why set it in 2016 specifically? Um, why have that nailed it down to that one time? Um, I think it was it, it's, it kind of filled like a bit of a logistical function for the story. So I wanted the crime to have been overshadowed by a major news story. Um, effectively, so mm. it wasn't like something that everybody already knew about and it hadn't had this like huge cultural impact um in the way that major crimes kind of often do and that when stuff like this happens it's like huge and unusual and it often like changes like legislature and stuff so to use like the the murder of jamie bulger as an example obviously we had like the age of criminal responsibility was lowered and that had like a massive impact um so it, it like needed to be something that could that had been overlooked by the public um and uh i was i was interested in there there was a a a young woman called suzanne kappa who was murdered in the merseyside area um effectively like not quite during the the jamie bulger trials but like very much during like late 93 early 94 um, so that ended up being like this this huge, horrible, major crime that not very many people have heard of because it was overshadowed by this major news story. Um, and it was just it being Brexit was just sort of like, like I said, yeah, it kind of filled a, a logistical function in that it was something that completely dominated the news cycle for like months. Um, and also... I remember 2016 quite well because I was like 22 in 2016. Uh, I I almost like I was torn between that and the 2012 Olympics, but I I just I was 18 during the Olympics, so I just don't remember it as well. Um, and there was a lot more stuff from 2016 I could remember off the top of my head, and didn't it didn't feel quite as like foggy or like childhoody as as 2012 did um yeah so it was part like it was it was mostly a logistical thing i think i didn't really kind of set out to write like a like a state of the nation novel with it or anything but i I feel like i maybe sort of accidentally did a little bit Uh, well i wasn't gonna say but uh yeah you kind of did sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) but it it is like a a really really well observed i mean it's not just state of nation because this this is it, it felt I totally not being a girl, not being having grown up in twenty sixteen, but far earlier, far earlier than I care to admit. Mm. Like it did feel like my high school, like it. Yeah, it, it felt like my hometown. 
even though my hometown isn't on the sea, it's still very touristy and it's got that kind of like weird, witchy, creepy folk horror vibes every small British town has. Mm. And um, yeah, it, it, it totally nailed how teenagers relate. I mean, this kind of yeah. like if you take away their mobile phones and this is like, this is just what I, what was like for me growing up. I, yeah. I, especially the... The popular kids who try to emulate um, American teen films, mm. which you mentioned a few times, and they and they were they were doing that back in two thousand at my <laughs> high school. Um, God, I'm old. Um, <laughs> like the popular kids at my high school used to wear those uh, Letterman jackets that like the jocks would wear in American things, and we don't even have high school sports like in America. Yeah, they would wear that's them so strange. Just to look like they were... <laughs> the, the sort of cultural bleed-over for America, I think, is like a really interesting thing that feels like it's sort of happened to Britain more and more aggressively in like the last sort of 20 to 30 years. Like, my high school had a prom. Like, why the mm. fuck did we have a prom? <laughs> Same, yeah. This feels like yeah, such I, a weird I, kind I of I stole a bunch of... Yeah. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, yeah. We, I, um, at my prom, my the girl I liked turned up with a girl she liked, and I um, stole a bunch of red wine and drank it all, and ended up stumbling home and falling over in a gutter and vomiting red wine all over myself. So I looked like I'd been shot, um, and the police were involved. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a magical moment. It was like, yeah, you, you can see it. it was like the end of a high school movie. Yeah, specifically it feels... Carrie. That that feels very like the that that's the Britification of the of the US prom tradition is just the the addition of like vast amounts of not even necessarily underage drinking if it's a sixth form leavers ball. Um but No, I was underage. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Good. I'm, just... glad, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, our school st- our, our school still like getting us drunk. They would like when we were about sixteen that they they did like a big party at a, at a nightclub, you know, and it's like regional nightclub mm. called like Stars with a Z or something. Mm. Um, yeah, great places, and they just took <laughs> us out there, got us all pissed. I don't know if they do that anymore. Probably not. But um, no, I think yeah, they. It, it I was, think and, they like. And, at um at my sixth form leavers, or I feel like because it was in it was like in July. I feel like I remember them putting wristbands on everybody who wasn't 18 yet, but I might have made that up. But you definitely, they were definitely carding very aggressively <laughs> at the bar to make sure that people who were not 18 mm. yet weren't buying alcohol. Yeah. And I mean, every, everyone was drunk all the time at high school. And yeah. And it comes up a lot in, in here as well. Like it the does, constant yeah. presence of like, Small plastic vodka bottles, WKD Blue. Uh, we had Hooch, oh. which I've, I've recently discovered is, is back. Hooch is good. I'm, I, I'll, I'll go to the... Uh, <laughs> you go, go to you'll die on the Hooch Hill. <laughs> yeah, hell, yeah it's, it's, just, it's just lemonade that gets you pissed. It's great. Um, so, um, yeah. I, so, did you grow up in a town like that? Is this all um, first-hand experience? 
uh, so, sort of. I guess I'm from Newcastle, so I'm from a small city. Um, but the big, I suppose the big, the big thing that I think is actually quite specific to growing up in Newcastle is that there's this very healthy culture of nightlife there. Um, so I have I, like my my experience of growing up was a lot more like basically going out and underage drinking at the age of sixteen and being able to get into like nightclubs and stuff. So like the the mm, boredom so... and the lack of things to do is actually not really part of my own experience. I think it's it's just sort of one of the big benefits of growing up in a in a small city is that you get to kind of enjoy all of the amenities of being in a city without it being quite as sort of like, I don't know, a bit like spread out and probably a bit like scarier for your parents than if I was like a teenager growing up in a much bigger city like Manchester or London. Um, So so there's like to an extent, um, I think there's like some stuff about growing up that's quite universal but there's definitely some stuff that it would be like stolen valet to say that I was kind of like drinking under a bridge because I was bored because I I wasn't I was in Newcastle and they don't they simply don't ID you (laughs) or at least they simply didn't ID you um so I had like like way more to do um so I was kind of the the setting is kind of softly like basically Scarborough uh which is where my partner um he's not from scarborough but he spent like a lot of his teenage years there and a lot of our friends are still from scarborough so it was like it was kind of like almost i was i was really fascinated by hearing the (laughs) the sort of small town sort of growing up in this like small beachy tourist town where there's just everything is set up to cater for like elderly people and tourists that will come for like a couple of days once a year um and like just them doing stuff like like jumping up and down on cars and like running into the sea because they had nothing else to do and like swimming in the North Sea is like I think the something that you would only do if you were a mad person anyway because it's so mm. cold. Um all year round it's so cold. <laughs> um and yeah, I think there is like sort of a universe there there is like a universal element to seaside towns as well because I feel like we're all if you didn't grow up in a seaside town you're sort of very familiar with them. Um because you've mm-hmm. every pretty yeah. much everybody in the UK sort of by law I think has to have a seaside town that they semi regularly visit. Um mm-hmm. so I think yep, mine that, was Yeah, um in in Newcastle it's kind of there's there's Tynemouth and Whitley Bay um and yeah um Whitley Bay being much closer to the the sort of crow on sea kind of energy um than than Tynemouth which is very which is quite bougie actually um yeah it's I, I and I just I just think they're really interesting I'm sort of I like like weird things about British culture like I quite like I like like old British sitcoms and like I've always cited The League of Gentlemen as like an inspiration for for Croancy mm-hmm. as well as oh, yeah. as well as Scarborough um I see that yeah um so I'm just kind of very interested in this sort of I don't know this this sort of weird kind of small town British stuff and then you kind of get the extra I guess the political stuff of like Scarborough did vote leave a lot of that area did vote leave um and kind of like Crow on Sea, it's sort of an area that has a conservative MP, not because the people in the town are voting for the conservatives, but because everybody in the surrounding well-to-do villages are voting 
um conservative and yeah they're just they're they're sort of really interesting quite like I don't know there's sort of like a weird like liminality to them as well because like if you visit Scarborough in out of season which which we sort of do semi-regularly because my partner's parents still live there then like everything's shut (laughs) um and and you're just kind of like I remember saying like why why would like why are all of these just like cafes shut and my partner just being like well it's out of season and it's like but surely you're allowed one cafe <laughs> like <laughs> the people of scarborough do they not deserve like like a cafe that's open all the time I mean, i'm exaggerating a bit there obviously they do have things that are open all year round but like it, it's really surprising how much of the town closes down out of the tourist season Yeah, my my parents moved to a retired to a seaside town and it, much bougier one than Crow on Sea, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's still got that same vibe of it. It doesn't quite exist for the people who live there. It, it exists for other mm. people. And it's not like yeah, it's not like it has a massive tourist thing, but it's for like rich folks from London to come down and uh, putter about on their yachts or something. Yeah, and, and and I guess there is sort of a, sorry there there is kind of like a slightly there is kind of a relatable element to that with Newcastle as well because it's such a popular spot for like Hindus and um and and stag do's so I'm kind of like I I I am very sympathetic to the experience of living in a functioning city that people treat like people don't live there and that it's just kind of exists for them to have a good time for a couple of days. Um, Manchester's the same. Like mm. every, if you go out on a Saturday, you'll always see like loads of stag do's and Hindus. It, it it like draws in everyone from the northwest of England just to have mm. the like salmon spawn in this particular stream. <laughs> and it's not like you know it's a huge city of like two million people, so it's obviously more there. But there's a noticeable amount of hen and stag do's in this town. Mm. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and one of the things. One of the really many really good things about Penance is Crow on Sea is like a fully realized world. Like you, you've done the kind of world building that normally happens in like fantasy novels. Like, how, how do you go about like world building for a, a realistic feeling town in the north of England? Yes, so so to an extent with great difficulty because <laughs> I sort of I I think I, I'm like quite bad at like making notes. And I was doing a lot of like having to remember stuff off the top of my head. Um, I was I was lucky here in that I did have Scarborough to use as a framework. So there was stuff that I was like borrowing and pinching from that were just kind of like either anecdotes that my friends had told me. And then there was there was also like it meant that I had a source of local news that I could check for stuff. But then it was kind of like keeping my own timeline straight and keeping characters names straight and because a lot of material was cut from earlier drafts it was like remembering stuff that has been cut and stuff that hasn't been cut like I still kind of forget what then went in Faber's edit as well (laughs) um never mind things that went in my own edit (laughs) um and yeah it's it's um definitely like tricky I think I, I would probably if I if I were and perhaps I am doing some world building stuff for for a follow up project, 
I'm being a lot more careful to make notes and have like files that I can refer to and keep my stuff a lot more organized because it was like it wasn't so much the world building it was the lack of my own organization and creation of like reference materials for um for it uh, which I think is just I suppose like a bit of a a bit of a hangover of like not having done that before um so like I do for my uh short stories I write more in like a speculative fiction kind of space but in a way that doesn't necessarily really require world building because both because of the way I write where I just kind of tend to with short stories sort of drop the reader in it and let them catch up um so it's like as long as I have like a few basic facts together in my head it doesn't really matter but with with long form stuff like you really really do need to keep notes rather than like using the actual manuscript itself as like a reference point it was just like a a ridiculous way to work on something with this sort of degree of like world building and like timeline and just like the amount of characters in it and like I said so much of it has gotten Mm. cut as well um yeah so how how much got cut because this is a pretty hefty book it's like three four hundred pages so what kind yeah. of stuff got cut and, and and why i think it's you know what i've got a i've got a hardback next to me so i can check it's i know that yeah, the I've total got, the total manuscripts yeah it's about 430 the total the total manuscript came to like a hundred and like 110,000 words i think it's like or maybe mm-hmm. maybe not quite 110k um so it's, that would make it about about twenty to thirty thousand words longer than boy parts, um, and a, a standard trade paperback is about eighty thousand words, which is what boy parts is. Um, for for reference, I really wish books came with like a word count because I feel like nobody cares about word count apart from other writers, <laughs> yeah. but like I I am interested in what the exact word count of every book I read is. Um, yeah, Same. I yeah. <laughs> I think. Because originally the book was going to be a lot more like first person point of view, just like these direct monologue bits from from the girl's point of view. I would estimate something in the realm of twenty to thousand word, twenty to thirty thousand words of content in total from like all of those drafts. Um, but a lot of that will be stuff that doesn't fit in with the like continuity of the of the book as it was set, and there'll be. Yeah, there there was like a bunch of stuff that was that was cut mostly just from those drafts of like like Angelica speaking in the Angelica voice for ten thousand words. Um, but they, I suppose, they ended up being quite useful for me working out what the actual timeline of stuff that had happened was. Um, but yeah, uh, so I'd I'd guess something in the in the realm of twenty to thirty thousand words, but not all of that just being like extra material about Croatia. It was a lot of more the the way the story was kind of presented, which it was unreadable. It was it was very bad before I got that. <laughs> it, um, when I saw you you read from Penance uh, at in Manchester, you mentioned having a kind of an epilogue to Boy Parts about uh, Eddie from Tesco. Uh, oh, it was it was is, a short that story you actually. Do for right. Um, it was it was like I was going to write yeah, it. a short yeah. story about what happens to him like just after, right? Yeah, um, which I didn't actually end up finishing because it was and... too bleak. Um, but yeah, I I haven't done that with penance. I feel like that's a lot more complete. Um, and 
it, it's sort of like I think, but I think there are there are kind of bits and bobs that I've thought would be interesting to revisit. Like when I was listening to the, I listened to the audio book, which is fun because I can't I can't listen to the the boy parts audio book because it's me reading it. So I just I find it excruciating. Um, but reading the it's listening so to good the, though. <laughs> thank you. But it's it's just it's like you. Uh, uh. <laughs> I I just can't uh, I can't quite go back to it. I don't think. Yeah, I, um, I I hate editing podcasts. For the same reason, I, I can't listen to my own voice for any length of time. Yeah, it's 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 really excruciating. I think. Um, but yeah, I uh, so the penance audiobook, which I which I really enjoyed because it like it kind of allowed me to like enjoy the book for myself. Uh, which I hadn't really been able to do and which you kind of struggle to do a bit while you're writing it. And I had a bit of a fraught time writing penance. It was a lot more like difficult than the process of boy parts. I also had to write a lot of it during the pandemic. Um, sorry, just hiccuping. Um, Mom. <clears throat> um, and because I had to wait, where was I? What was I talking about? I've completely lost my train of thought penance audiobook uh, writing a penance during the pandemic yes yes um it, it, oh, yeah, I, was, I think i was talking about writing like extra stuff for it and what i would like to go back to that's what i was saying sorry um when i was listening to the mm-hmm. penance audiobook i kind of thought like i would actually quite like like i'd quite like to go back to the cherry creek massacre stuff um like in my head i was kind of like mm-hmm. oh i could do like a little sort of bonus book because i mentioned there being like a non-fiction book about that and i was like i could write that non-fiction book and then i just sort of thought like you need to not like stop it <laughs> no <laughs> don't do yeah. that um yeah um but i don't i don't think i would necessarily feel the need to do that for penance. I think with, with boy parts, I sort of felt quite interested in going back to Eddie from Tesco because I, I, I just really like that character. Um, Same. But the, thank you. But the, the short story I ended up writing was like so bleak that I like didn't finish it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, you're, you're the artist, you get to choose what you do, but I would really love to, to read what happens. <laughs> But um, that, that's something I was going to give bring up because um, there's a lot of you know kind of like Twitter discourse on uh, men writing female characters, mm. and you're really really good at writing male characters. Like Eddie from Tesco, I, I know that I've pretty much been that guy. Um, mine was Sainsbury's, but um, it's a bit bit classier. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, like like I, I was. I was thinking back to reading Boy Parts the other day um, and kind of why why it stuck with me and kind of disturbed me. And it wasn't the violence. and It, it wasn't even Irina being like a, like, it, it was kind of the, it was kind of the, the notion that maybe I'm kind of like that guy. And maybe if women were more like Irina, were more unstable and, uh, but also more honest, Maybe they, maybe women would call me on my bullshit and a bit more. Yeah. And um, in Penance, it's written from a male perspective. It, mm. It's the main, the narrator is a guy. Um, how do, do you have like a conscious process of getting into the mind of, of, of dudes? Is it even like a thing you think about? 
No, not really. Um, and I think it's kind of like, I guess the, a lot of the discourse, I suppose with writing men for boy parts, I think it's just that I like, I just, I observe people and I, I spend a lot of time watching people and thinking about what they do and why they do it. And I think sometimes when, I think some of the fun for men when they read boy parts is realizing that women have been observing them the way that they've been observing women like men don't tend to think of themselves mm, as yeah. objects to be observed they tend to think of themselves as the observer it's kind of essentially what male gaze is a lot of people mm. sort of misuse that term a bit but it's it's the idea of being like the the sort of part of the dominant group observing people who are not part of the dominant group um, and I think I don't really need a process to kind of get into the headspace of writing men because I inherently understand that men are people. <laughs> and I think a lot of the reason that men get stuck writing women is because they just don't understand that women are people. Or at least there's like there's kind of like a blockage where they're always thinking like woman rather than just like person. Um, and I think I think that's part of it mm. is that I think it's just a sort of an unfortunate hangover of being part of like if you are part of kind of like a dominant group whether you're sort of conscious of it or unconscious of it that like in that you're always going to kind of think about somebody sort of marginalization first rather than um, and it's not just men that do this. Like I think white writers do this for for writing characters of color. I think non disabled writers do this for disabled people. It's like thinking about like how do I write a person who is a woman rather than just like how do I write this character? If that makes sense. Mm. Um, no, totally, hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I, it's not really. I, I suppose it's not really something that I think about, but I think it is like. I guess probably something that I would be more guilty of when I'm approaching people who are like like people from other marginalized groups. Um and yeah, I think the best way to approach that is to just relax and just think about the fact that you're writing a character rather than you're trying to like represent a group. Um but yeah, I think also part of it, particularly mm. with like men writing women, is that they're just not necessarily like maybe not even thinking that they are doing this um which is how you end up with so many very very similar female characters and kind of these like just very flat portrayals of women that are sort of like just kind of almost projections and I don't know there's there's a lot of like I, I think there's a lot of like good uh female characters written by men um but there's also just so much bad stuff out there that I think a lot of the discourse is quite justified. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, and speaking of the internet and discourse, and um, and you mentioned the, the Cherry Creek Massacre part of the book uh, mm. earlier. And that comes in kind of in the last third, and it's... Um, I, don't, I don't know if this is spoilery. Uh, tell me if it is, but the... I don't think some so. Some of the girls... Who and, and yeah okay good. Um, so some of the girls who end up committing the murder are part of like a fanfic community for um, the for a fictionalized massacre that took place like a school shooting in the US. Yes, and that's very obviously based on real life stuff because we hear about like the. Um, did, did you spend much time in those kind of communities to to like? 
because the way you wrote the, the Tumblr parts are super authentic. <laughs> Did you have to like like embed in the um, like Ed Gein fanfic community and uh, become a, a, a Geener for a few weeks? Um. No, so I actually I didn't do a great deal of I did I did do research on true crime fandom, but to be honest, there's like the particularly Tumblr fandom, there is like a very universal way that people engage in fandom spaces. Like all fandoms are kind of like none is exactly alike, but they're all kind of identical. Like a lot of the language that is used, and because I was just very much in like Tumblr fandom spaces in the twenty tens, I didn't really need to like embed myself because I was just it, it's just something that was so formative for me. Um, like I was I was a heavy user of Tumblr from like mm. two thousand nine to like probably about two thousand fifteen two thousand sixteen. Um, so it was just it was just kind of like a it's it's like a language that I speak, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, in terms of specifically yeah. the true crime stuff, um, it was always something that I gave kind of a wide berth on Tumblr because, like, even for the weird stuff that was happening on Tumblr, the the true crime community stuff was considered particularly weird and particularly toxic. Um, so it was something that I always just just kind of avoided. Um, but I I read while I was writing penance, I read. Rachel Monroe's Savage Appetites, uh, which is a really interesting book about women's relationship with true crime and fandom. And she talks about the Columbiners in there. And it was kind of while reading that, I did kind of think like, God, this just sounds so similar to like other fandoms I've been in. It's just that it's sort of aimed at such a wacky thing. <laughs> um, yeah. um, and yeah, I think I'm I'm interested in like online fandom spaces, but I think particularly when they're taken to these like very, very odd things. Like I, I've always been interested in like odd fandoms anyway, but it, obviously this is kind of the a bit of a nadir for oddness. Um and yeah, I just I just find it really interesting. I also listened to a really good podcast series about Lindsay Suvanarath, who is a tumblr user who was sort of embedded in true crime stuff but she was also like a semi-ironic not really ironic um radicalized into being like a white supremacist and she was like and and there's a really interesting podcast series which interviews her in prison because she failed her and her boyfriend planned to shoot up a mall together and were caught by airport security i believe um and yeah that that was like a really really fascinating insight into that sort of like i don't know this this mindset of like of of being in these fandom spaces and then taking it to like whole new extremes um yeah and I, i was just really interested in it i think there's a lot of like weird interesting behavior in fandom spaces um especially when fandoms just sort of start to go a bit wrong uh and i think true crime is obviously an interesting space for that because it is such a taboo subject to begin with and it almost seems like a lot of the people who engage in those fandoms don't really understand how what they're doing is like different from other people um yeah and and it's just just um, an interesting kettle of fish isn't it (laughs) it is yeah my my wife is a big true crime person uh she she was like really into like the reddit true crime thing Right. I don't know if you remember a few few years back, there was um, some like influencer uh, went missing in a national park in the US, mm. and 
Yeah, I don't know if that rings a bell. But it does, yeah. My, yeah, my, my wife was like <laughs> pretty much leading that investigation. She <laughs> she spoke to um, CNN about it and wow. what she was doing online because uh, she she tried to like refocus the investigation on like uh, guys, you know, like one white person has gone missing, but like indigenous women disappear from reservations like every other day, and that mm. got onto CNN. That was fucking weird. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, true crime fandom spaces are well, kind of fandom. Not not the same ones as are in where you idolize serial killers, like in um, like the bits in your book. But mm. I, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that milieu. Um, yeah, it is fucking weird. Mm. Um, but. Um, yeah, one of the things you you mentioned just there, the, the books that you read uh, going up to this, uh, it, your book actually has a bibliography, which is kind of unique for a fiction book. Mm. Kamikaze Biker, Man Playing Games, Savage Appetite. The the Nighttime Podcast, that's the, uh, yes, the one that's you just mentioned. Right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it mm. is. And oh, and um, Monster Talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I um, like kind of halfway through the book, I was like, "Oh shit, this is doing the Slender Man thing, isn't it? Oh my god, they're gonna Slender Man her." <laughs> yeah, um, I I'm like low key obsessed with that almost murder because it's mm. um, I've got a, a young son who's getting into like all uh, all that stuff, mm. and like <laughs> I kind of don't want him stabbing one of his friends ways later. <laughs> Ways older, so I've, I've been kind of a little bit obsessed with that particular crime. Mm. But um, what kind of stuff did you get out of these books? Like, like, where are the different ingredients like coming to coming together in the, in penance itself? Um, it was it was that idea of like corrupted play, which I talk about. Mm. Ended up being so like essential for for my kind of like understanding of of the the sort of psychology of these sort of children who commit these these kind of like really extreme crimes um and it was i kind of sort of was introduced to that concept via that episode of monster talk where they talk about slender man as like a tulpa and they speak to mm. an expert in tibetan mythology who's basically i kind of i i don't directly quote it but i sort of from memory repeat it in the book um of just like oh like actually <laughs> like we're not even saying the word tulpa right the idea of what a tulpa <laughs> is is so dominate is being completely westernized like this idea of you creating mm. like like a creation that turns against its master is just such an entirely western concept that it was like ridiculous to even begin to compare mm. it to like what an actual tulpa was in in Tibetan mythology, um, and he mentioned this idea of corrupted play, and he talked about the Ukuya Sato book, the Kamikaze Biker, and basically the idea of like that that the Slender Man stuff it wasn't it wasn't a tulpa gone wrong or something like that. Like they hadn't created a tulpa. This was this was play, and it was they were playing, and it had gone into this like very strange place and corrupted play being this this idea of like play crossing over into the into the sort of into like non-play spaces and that play needs to be contained um and if mm. it 
does if it ceases to be contained everything goes terribly wrong um and i was so interested in it and when kind of sato's book um which is about him like basically hanging out with bike gangs in tokyo in the 80s and 90s um like just the idea that you can you can like join one of these gangs as like a 15 year old who it just sort of wants to pretend that he's like a bad like like a badass and then like basically you kind of and you want to play at the idea of like oh i'm like a i'm like a scary guy i could rob someone at knife point and then it's kind of like a few weeks later you've robbed someone at knife point so where do you go from there um i thought was so interesting and then when i was doing research and kind of reading about more crimes that had been undertaken by children it was kind of almost impossible to see them in any other light of like that that this was entirely like play that had just gone in such a strange Mm. dark place that there was this complete lack of understanding of permanence and consequence and i think in part of that because there is no permanence or consequence when you're playing um it's almost like the introduction of consequence which sort of takes things into a in into this kind of like corrupted space and i was just i was so interested in that and how much like I, I, and that I feel like it is almost slightly under discussed, like the the extent to which mm. playing sort of goes into into these these very strange extreme crimes. And yeah, no, I was just I was just really interested in it. Um, I feel like I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but it ended up being really really. No, formative. no. I mean, this is something I've. This is something I'm really interested in too. In, in how adults do corrupted play. I mean. Mm. Going back to Brexit and uh, the other thing, 2016, Donald Trump, that that strikes me as an example of corrupted play. Like all these adults yeah. <laughs> who normally, who like will go online on their Facebook groups and talk about immigrants or whatever, but then they go to their job and they're sat by an immigrant all day. Or they're, you know, just the, the, the way adults, the, the, your typical online divorce dads, they kind of shit post and, how like 4chan comes into that and it, it and but then it gets to a point where you know they've been shit talking for so long eventually someone's got to do something mm. and that becomes that becomes it could become brexit it could become Donald trump it could be like the whole stochastic terrorism idea that mm. you know everyone's just online stewing in their own hatred and shit talking each other all day and egging each other on until someone actually does shoot up a more mm. um yeah, I, I think like this is me gonna go into a, a tangent, a big tangent here, but I think it's when these like under discussed things in, in like political science or politics in general is just like how much play and silliness and shit talking and irony mm. are like the mode, like our current moment. Like, I, like yes. I'm sure that when yeah, you know, I'm talking about them like they're real people, but I'm sure that when. Violet and Dolly and everyone were talking about the various occult things in their town. They kind of knew they were being silly. Like I, I, I was the same when I was a kid. I, I knew it was silly. I knew there was, but there was also you know there's ghosts everywhere in my hometown, and we've got to go out at night and see them and stuff. Like yes, they know they're being silly up until the point where they set someone on fire. Yeah, I think and... so. I sort of, I think, I think for me, I always sort of felt of it as like. I feel like Violet and Angelica know that they're being silly, but I think Dolly definitely doesn't. Or at least Dolly only Mm. subconsciously knows that she's being silly. (laughs) 
um and that i think i think that yeah that that sort of degree of like the extent to which you sort of have i don't know drunk your own kool-aid i think is is interesting in terms of of this stuff yeah it so like i say we're coming up to time so all i've got to say at this point is fucking fantastic book dude Thank wow you. <laughs> <Banger>. <laughs> you're like you're two for two for awesome books at the moment so Thank you. keep it up and um you, you mentioned short stories earlier are you, you putting out a collection anytime soon or, or are they just yes yeah out, so out i've got oh, yeah, i cool. do have a short story collection coming out in november of 2024 is is the release date at the minute um so that will be yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that coming out just because that's felt like it's kind of been done to me for like a really long time. So I'm I'm looking forward to that finally being out. Cool. And you said it was a lot of like speculative fiction kind of things or? Yes. Like, so... what, 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 I know you don't want to give it all away, but what, what kind of stuff can we expect? Uh, just like a bit of a mix, really. So there's, there's some contemporary stuff in there. There's some more out and out horror stuff. Then... Um, my obviously like horror influence novel content um and and some sort of sci-fi horror stuff in there uh and some period stuff which is which is all exciting and i hope people mm-hmm. well, enjoy like it. women bodices having various um teas with each other no i i mean more more like the 1970s i suppose would be the the period oh, say i mean penance is technically a period piece Technical. Yes, technically. <laughs> All things are period pieces. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, so, folks at home, you go out and buy pens right now. Um, buy boy parts as well. L- listen to the audiobook. It is a ba- it's a banger. It's really good. <laughs> it's, it's one of those ones where you can just, like, sometimes I put audiobooks on in the background and just have them on while I'm working. This is one where you're, like, you got to lie down in bed. You know, just lie down, let it wash over you. <laughs> um penance i'm sure is equally good on audio but i read it in book book format mm. um so to uh to finish off the episode today we're gonna play a little song from a band called agriculture out of the us they've kind of been bubbling under the surface for a little while last year they had an ep out called the circle chant then they've got a self-titled album out this year um there's a song called The Glory of the Ocean. I'm going to do a kind of edited version because it's got like a long intro and stuff. You, know, you don't need to be listening to the whole intro. But it, it really slaps. It, they describe it as ecstatic black metal. So it's not all gloomy. It's actually kind of fun. But yeah, it's just really great. And if you join us in a week or two, um, we'll be talking about uh, Isabel Waden's new novel, uh, Corey Farr Does Social Mobility. Um, again, that's a total banger. Don't know, Eliza, are you, you aware of uh, Isabel's work? Do you, yes. Have you read that one? Yes, I haven't, I haven't read it yet, it, it no, is but really I'm, I'm excited to dive into it. I do have a copy somewhere. Mm, yeah, I, I've, <laughs> yeah, it, it, a brilliant novelist. There's, there's been like a little surge of really great novelists and two of you are part of that. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah we'll great. play out with agriculture. Everyone. Everyone at home should go and read Pence right now, unless you're stupid. Um, and, yep, Eliza, uh, looking forward to uh, October of 2024, where I could read all your short stories. 
Yes. So here is agriculture. <laughs>